0: This week of Classic City Crime is brought to you by Kismet Designs in Cumming, Georgia, who makes customized stainless steel tumblers. Their design options are endless, and if you can think it, they can create it. Find their info in our social media this week and check out their ready-to-ship tumblers, too. The Tara Baker Story Week 17 starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to week 17 of the classic city crime investigation into the 20-year unsolved murder of UGA law student Tara Louise Baker. I'm Cameron J, and I am so glad to have all of you with us this week as we continue this journey. And welcome to all of our new listeners now in all 50 states. Thanks to each of you for your support. It means the world to me, as you already know. Let's get right to it this week. There has been quite a lot of information coming out about each of our persons of interest. And if you're new to the podcast, I do encourage you to go back and listen to the first few suspect episodes to get an idea of just how far we've come in not necessarily finding out who is ultimately responsible, but in actually narrowing down that list and eliminating a few key people. But as we narrow things down, and just as I feel everything in this deeply woven web is finally making sense, boom something else comes into play. I tell you that happens all the time and you're going to feel that way this week. We're adding a new suspect this week and here's why. I had a woman reach out to me a few weeks ago describing a quite terrible evil man in her life who had done some pretty awful things. She told me that he believed he could not only be responsible for the death of Tara, but for the deaths of other young women here in Georgia. I haven't gotten that far on it yet, but let's keep it focused on Tara right now. This is quite a bold thing to say, to say I believe someone is responsible, and there have been very few people so far willing to go as far as to say that they will point the finger at one specific person. But you know, I believe every single person who tells me a story, I'll admit that, because for the most part, everyone has their own version of what they believe happened, and each is important as we shift through all of the information coming in each week. Now get this, I've had hundreds of leads with many individuals' names come across my desk, and all of which I've looked at in some way, shape, form, or fashion, but of course not all of them make it into the podcast each week, because if so, we'd be here forever, And we'd be much further from the truth, right? So we have to vet each thing that comes through. However, this woman's story immediately gave me cause for alarm and really just kind of scared me a little bit. You see, before coming into podcasting and after I worked in the funeral home for a few years, I was a marketing professional. And the one thing that I learned is those people you may know folks that you see pop up on your Facebook are usually two types of people. Number one, types of people with whom you share some friends or common interest. And number two, people who might be looking at you and your profile online. So you can only imagine it's a little creepy for me sometimes, particularly when my people of interest people you may know is often filled with law enforcement officials usually posing under aliases. Now one day I did a brief scroll through my newsfeed, well... Brief is probably not the best adjective to use for me in Facebook, but I stopped on the people you may know section because something, someone rather, caught my eye. It was a man who I had no mutual friends with and who had just really given me this odd feeling when I saw him. And I don't like to judge people. I didn't know why he would be showing up, but there was just something in my spirit that told me, take a screenshot of his profile. So that's what I did, and I put it in my ever-growing binder never to think about it again. That is, until this woman called me. And she did name this man to me personally. What was his name? It's the same man who was looking me up on Facebook when the podcast first began. It was the same man whose profile I had just taken a screenshot of on a whim, having a feeling. You can only imagine the chill that went up my spine when i made this connection. I'm going to play our interview now unfiltered, though her name has been withheld and her voice changed, and you understand why. Please be advised, however, that this interview may be disturbing for some listeners. It details the following, violence, animal cruelty, and sexual assault. Well, first of all, thank thank you for reaching out to me. One thing that I always tell everyone that I speak with on the podcast is that it takes a lot of bravery to come forward um, and discuss this issue, especially if you think you might know something that could help solve the crime. So thank you for your bravery and thank you for taking time to talk with me.
1: Thank you for talking to me. Thank you for getting back to me so quickly, and uh, I won't argue with that. Uh, This is one of the toughest things I've I've ever done. Mm -hmm.
0: So tell me why you reached out to me. What made you decide to call Cameron Jay?
1: I reached out to you because I have a family member, we'll just call him D, that is without a doubt a monster. I'm not certain whether he's a sociopath or a psychopath, uh, but he's certainly one of them. And I, I see the results of his behavior and, and his monstrous actions as a child. and was traumatized by them. Was recently, about a year and a half ago, reunited with a mutual cousin, another cousin that after talking to her we put things together and realized that that B is a likely suspect were actually three cold case murders in Athens, Tara Bakers being one of them. He told her among other people that he dated her. And she said that she's always had this just nagging feeling in her gut that he's responsible for her murder, to be completely blunt. When I found your podcast, I, I had to reach out to you. Prior to doing that, I did email, I did look up the detectives assigned for the cold case murders, all three of them, in Athens or Athens-Cotton County Police Department. I emailed them. I didn't get any response whatsoever from anyone assigned. So when I found your podcast, I immediately uh,
0: contacted you and you immediately got back to me. Well, you know that's what i always say if we don't talk to people we can never find the truth right so Um, you mentioned that you grew up with this person of interest and I know that we've talked before and you told me a little bit of some of the trauma that you had to endure, um, growing up near and around this individual at times. Can you kind of tell listeners what some of that was like for you and for everyone listening? Some of this may be disturbing to hear, but I think it's important to put it into context, if you will. So can you kind of take us there and what you experienced?
1: Uh, Sure, absolutely, Uh, and I appreciate you adding that, because it is disturbing. Uh, Growing up, my grandparents kept me and uh, my two little cousins, my first cousins, and I. Every now and then, my grandmother would have a part-time job to make extra money, pocket money, and we would be left with uh, an aunt of mine for the time period that basically we got off the school bus until she got home from her part-time job. This one particular aunt, she lived... Two houses in front of us across the street. Her grandson, who is D, was just a monster. We were absolutely terrified of him, my, my younger cousin and I. Uh, my, my youngest cousin was a baby at the time, so he was kept inside the house. My uh, middle cousin was, he and I were forced to always go outside and play because evidently, you know, she had a case of the quote-unquote nerves, as we refer to it then. D would be outside and he would never fail to mess with us in some way. And when I say mess with us, I mean traumatize us as children, traumatize us even if we had been adults. The most traumatic things that he did were when he would call us outside, get our attention by talking about there being baby kittens Nearby, and of course, he knew that as you know, little kids that we would be interested in that. But what he would do, and you know, one of the worst memories I have of my entire childhood is him coaxing us outside with that, giving the kittens, showing us, talking about how cute they were, then proceeding to put them in a burlap sack, tie them to a tree in the very front yard right next to where the aunt's car was parked, his grandmother, and then beat them with a baseball bat. And it took, it, no one should ever have to need or know this information, but it takes a lot longer than you would think to for death to occur, and the screaming of those kittens was the most horrific thing I had ever heard as and could even imagine. It was awful. What was worse though was when the bag became silent and we knew that they were dead. This happened on more than a few occasions. This was not a one time thing. I don't know where he continued to find cats. Evidently there were a lot of strays in the area that, you know, were not fixed and had kittens. But it, it was it was horrific. We were absolutely terrified of him. The, not the first time it happened, we were so in shock at that point, we, we didn't know what to do. We were just terrified. The second time that he did it, he forcibly held our eyes open so that we could not look away. He, he literally, with his fingers, held our eyes open so that we were forced to watch it, and we couldn't, of course, help but hear it. And he told that he laughed. And just laughed and giggled the entire time, every time that he did anything like this. And he would say that if we said a word to anybody, that he would do the exact same thing to us. We were little kids. We saw what he was doing to those kittens. We absolutely believed him. We did not say a word.
0: Jeez, that's a lot of hard stuff. Um, Did he ever inflict harm on any other members of your family that you are aware of?
1: absolutely without a doubt his sister biological sister he uh, assaulted frequently physically and sexually he also she, mentally abused her to quite an extent
0: so all of this really describes the behavior of someone who's very disturbed and very you know capable it seems of being very violent um and having a, a lack of compassion for others so mm-hmm. What makes you think he might be involved in Tara's death? I know that you said that he had mentioned her to someone. Can you just tell us about that a little bit more?
1: Well, he, he mentioned to someone very close to me, or not just mentioned, but talked in detail uh, to someone extremely close to me and very trusted that he dated her. Now, while i it hard to believe that someone like Tara would give someone like him the time kind of day, it, it does not, it would not support. Tells me at all that he lied about that, but he had to at least have known her or been aware of her to even make that up.
0: Do you know what type of work he was engaged in around the time of 2001 or anything like that?
1: It's difficult to be absolutely certain because, as you can imagine, once I had the ability to, I, I chose to never see or talk to him again and still have not, as did his sister, but from other family members who do remember and were still around he worked i know without a doubt that he worked as a
0: plumber but i don't know what else he did but he definitely worked in maintenance all right well i told you before we talked um and for listeners to know i talked to um this woman on the phone before but this is our second time talking so it's good to talk to you again but Um, I did some research between the last time that we talked and um, this time, and I told you I had something that I wanted to share with you on the air. And that is that you were, number one, correct about um, D being involved in plumbing and maintenance. What I don't think you're aware of is how important that information is because I have been able to, through an unnamed source um, who I cannot name, um, but I believe that I... You and thousands of people listening can trust is that d was on the suspect list in two thousand and one that he oh my God did have a tie to Tara Louise Baker in that oh my God in that he was contracted by and did maintenance work at the deer park subdivision
1: oh my God, oh my God. Oh, my God. I don't know why I keep saying that because it doesn't surprise me in the least. I mean, obviously the entire reason that I contacted you to begin with was because I suspected him of this murder. But finding that type of information out is still beyond... I I don't even... I don't have the words.
0: So see what I mean there? While there's nothing conclusive that ties him to the crime... I have found that he was once on the suspect list, as were quite a lot of people, of course. He did have a connection to Deer Park and the maintenance staff there. So, I asked myself this week, did the police perhaps focus on the wrong maintenance guy? Is there more than one person involved, if this theory is true, perhaps? I've always said I believe that more than one person had to be involved or at least responsible for Tara's death. Further, I found this man who we call D, along with the maintenance man, both have connections to the police department. D's father was a police officer, and the maintenance man's grandfather was a police captain back in the day. So this is all a lot to process, so I want us to take a moment and breathe with a brief intermission featuring a service I think all of my teacher friends, who I know are in the hundreds listening, will find useful. We'll be right back. Alright teachers, this one's for you. I Study for Success is a national online program piloted for a year in an actual classroom in the Atlanta area. It offers teachers 25 study skills that help students to expand their reading comprehension and critical thinking skills while improving their study habits. The additional 28 social and soft skills build self-respect and help to facilitate interaction and communication with others. The sessions are thorough, appeal to different types of learners, and apply to to all subjects and here's the plus there is no training nor planning required to teach the program it's all done for you you gotta love that rarely do you find a course that specifically focuses on study and social skills this program offers an engaging and thought-provoking way to introduce these skills to students during their impressionable and pre-employment years and has a price point that is super affordable teachers counselors and parents check out istudyforsuccess.com or reach out to the founder my friend Julie wilson at istudyforsuccess.com to empower your students and unlock their potential all right so let's not move away from our focus on deer park this week the odd occurrences that were happening there you've heard me mention the pages and pages of police reports from the year and i think the best people to talk to are the people who knew it best its residents we've talked to before One of them we know is now dead, unable to tell us the secrets of Deer Park, but one person who lived within sights distance of Tara's home did not die that day, and he's chosen to speak out about his experience in Deer Park and the strange occurrences and people lurking around Tara's home around the time she died. Well, first of all, thanks for taking time to talk with me. I just wanted to review with me a little bit, you know, what your experience was like living in Deer Park. I know that you had said that there was a really big difference from the time you began living there to the time that Tara's murder occurred in your neighborhood. So can you kind of tell listeners about that?
2: Sure. You know, um, when we first moved in there, it was a very quiet neighborhood. Uh, Essentially all college students, some of them, you know, were in grad school, some undergrad, but... Um, just a very quiet pleasant place to be a little bit you know out away from town um, but close enough to to make an easy commute into classes Uh, it offered you know more room than the general apartments we lived in a fairly large house there so you know it had a lot of advantages you had a little bit of yard had back deck great place to to grill and hang out and and it was felt very safe Mm -hmm. when we first moved in
0: and when when did you notice that start to change? I know that you've talked about there seemed to be an uptick of traffic um, after the Walmart was built and tell us about how that shifted uh, what was going on in the community
2: yeah I mean that was definitely the um, the shifting point was was once that the Walmart was completed next to the neighborhood but from the entrance it was you know felt like the rear of the neighborhood mm-hmm. um, once that Walmart was completed there was all of a sudden, you know, um, some foot traffic through the neighborhood from an adjacent uh, area that, you know, folks that may not have a vehicle were, were essentially walking through our neighborhood and cutting through the woods in the rear um, to get to Walmart and then coming back home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, shortly after that Walmart opened is, is when we began to see, you know, some small petty crime in the neighborhood, uh, you know, starting with car break-ins, things like that. Mm-hmm.
0: And did you or your roommates ever have any encounters or strange happenings with you specifically?
2: Um, we did. You know, it it started to shift. We we initially heard about you know some car break-ins and and theft of items and vehicles. Then we heard about the house break-in. Shortly after that, we heard about the arson. That was, you know, we lived. Sort of the front half of the neighborhood and the break in and arson were in the back of the neighborhood, closer to the Walmart. We really heard about that more through neighbors and friends in the neighborhood through sort of the rumor mill mm-hmm. than we did any sort of official channel. And then I guess it was that Christmas, I can't, we had two incidents in particular with, with myself and my roommates. Mm-hmm that were, you know, leading up to, uh, prior to the murder uh, of Tara, uh, one of those, and and this one I I have a hard time placing the the time frame on, but within one to three months Mm -hmm. before that January, uh, one day we walk out and there was an abandoned vehicle in front of our house. And it looked abandoned. It was a, a much older vehicle, not in good condition, sort of like an old... Cadillac or Oldsmobile four door, really large sedan. Mm -hmm. Nothing I'd ever seen in the neighborhood before, and it was just parked out in the street. So we called the police. At that point, we had, because of what had been going on in the neighborhood, we were a lot more situationally aware than we had been previously. Sort of had adopted that head on a swivel mentality and and looking for people and things that were out of place. Sure, you know we we didn't want to be a victim of, of crime either, so. And so we we just called the police and reported a um, suspicious vehicle. Police came out to check on the vehicle, ran the tags, and it came back as reported stolen. And as we were standing out in the street talking to the officer that had responded, young gentleman came walking up from the rear portion of the neighborhood. And I say young, you would have been uh, late teens, early 20s. Mm -hmm. Came walking up the street and, and basically said, you know, what's going on? And police officer, you know, asked him, "Well, you know, who are you? Do you know who the vehicle belongs to?" He said it belonged to a family member. Um, I can't remember if he said, you know, an immediate family member or an aunt or uncle, mm-hmm. it was something along those lines. At that point, I think the officer told him, "Well, the vehicle's been reported stolen." He claimed he had borrowed the, the vehicle. And um, long story short, is the officer actually let him leave the scene? Um, and when that happened, you know, I'm, I'm standing off to the side, essentially in our driveway, they're out of the street. And as the guy walks out of the neighborhood, I kind of asked the officer, I said, well, what are you doing? And, um, you know, he alluded that he thought that person might be involved in some local robberies and they were going to try to follow him to, you know, what might be their stash house. That ended with that person disappearing into the adjacent neighborhood. They never saw where he went. Didn't didn't detain him, arrest him. He, he was just gone. Jeez. Um, and they towed the vehicle, and that was the end of that. And I just, you know, sort of shook my head, like you had a stolen vehicle, but you let that person leave. Um, so It was very confusing. So that incident occurred, and then during the, uh, I will say, I had graduated University of Georgia, and was working in town. My roommates were still in class. Mm-hmm. Um, but that meant during breaks, I was still there. And and vast majority of the neighborhood vacated during breaks. They went home for Christmas. Uh, a lot of them went home for summer. Mm-hmm. But um, I was home over that Christmas break, that January. And one of my other roommates was there with me. It was a Friday or Saturday night. Uh, we had been out to, to have dinner. Went and caught a movie. And uh, we're coming back into the neighborhood about 1130 that night. And as we, we turned on to Fawn drive, uh, as soon as we pull in the neighborhood, we see, you know, two um, males on foot walking into the neighborhood and, and walking down Fawn drive. And it was based on their position. They had clearly just crossed the street. Mm-hmm. Um, it was December and they were in some you know, heavy, like starter jackets um, we went past them. My immediate thought was, well, they're probably looking for an empty house to break into just because of what had been going on. And the fact that no one was, was home in most of the houses nearby. Mm -hmm. Um, so we drove past them, pulled into our drive, you know, went through the front door. And as soon as went through the front door, I just rounded the corner and looked out the the front window to see where they were going. Um, I didn't want to draw attention to the fact that we were, uh, watching them. But so, you know, we, we just waited till we got inside and we peeked through the, the blinds. And essentially, as soon as we got through the door, uh, they took a hard ride off of the street and went in between some houses to, to get behind the houses. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a couple doors down from Tara's house. Um, at, at that point I made kind of a foolish decision, uh, <laughs> to, to go intervene Um, Not the wisest choice, but I think we had all kind of hit a point of being fed up uh, with crime in the neighborhood. And uh, it was kind of obvious what was going on. And and I guess my my only real intent was to maybe go stall these guys until the police could get there. So before I headed out the door, told my roommate, called the cops. Um, I I went uh, across the street and between a couple of houses and um, as I came around the what would have been the back left-hand corner of what was Tara's house, mm-hmm. they were on the far right-hand corner. Their floodlights were actually on in the rear of the house. So as I rounded the corner, and I don't believe or recall that anyone was home there at the time. I don't recall seeing vehicles in the driveway. Okay. Um, but as I rounded the corner, they were on the far side of the house, on the opposite corner, and I just sort of called out, you know, "Hey, what are you doing back here? You know, you don't have any business back here. Why are you here?" We had a, a bit of a standoff. You know, they they had some things to say to me, and I just, you know, was adamant that they needed to leave. At one point, one of them reached sort of for their belt line, which I didn't. You know, I, they had big, heavy jackets on. You, you can't really see what's underneath that, and. And my immediate thought was they may have a weapon. Um, so we had this this standoff. It, it felt a lot longer than it probably lasted, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a, a couple of minutes. And then they essentially you know, said their last words to me and turned and began to walk away. And the way that the neighborhood is laid out is that the center of the neighborhood is a big open field
0: right. Right,
2: with the, the rear of the houses all encircling it. And they walked through that open area, through the middle of the neighborhood, all the way to the back. And as they got to the back, which is where you, it was almost out of, of light, mm-hmm. um, the center was was fairly well lit that you could see. But as they got to the houses on the back end, it was you know, it, it got to be darker. I could barely see them, and you know they turned, you know, sent me one last insult and then walked off and I just wanted to keep eyes on them until they were out of sight Mm -hmm. and so as they you know sort of went on between the houses on the back end I immediately headed back to our home um which was just down the street uh went in asked my my roommate if you know where are the cops why aren't they here yet
0: and for whatever reason he says well I didn't call them I don't know oh no (laughs) (laughs) and we have
2: a brief exchange and I said, Well what do you mean you didn't call them? I, I, I picked up the phone. I picked up the phone and called nine one one. Um and and that was probably the most aside from the fact that you know they were there and, and appearing to, to look for homes to break into, the, the more surprising part of that entire event was that um I called nine one one to report suspicious persons and told them what was going on, and these people were behind homes, everybody's gone. Uh, you know, the history in the neighborhood with break-ins was, was pretty evident at that point. Mm-hmm. And the response I got from dispatch was that uh, they could not send anyone out. And the reason they gave was they, they could not send anyone into Deer Park without the landlord's permission. Wow. Um We had a brief exchange because not only did that confuse me, it it made me pretty angry.
0: Yes, you heard that correctly, my friends. The dispatcher told him that Mr. Hancock would have to call and approve for an officer to respond to such a call. Now, I've reached out to the athens Clark County Police Department for comment on this because I cannot see that as ever being a policy, and I'm curious to know if it was. If so, I think it presents a huge problem and a huge conflict of interest. As of recording time, I've not heard back from them, so please stay tuned to our social media this week, as we'll update you once we hear back.
2: And so I I, I pressed that issue, and you know why not? And she just said, you know, sorry, we can't send anyone without landlord's permission, and that was the the end of the call. Mm. Um. Not only was it surprising, it was it was infuriating that we could not get a police response, considering what had been going on in the neighborhood. Um, And prior to that, you know, with all the break-ins and and things that had been occurring, um, you know, I can't ever recall seeing any increase in patrol through the neighborhood or, or, you know, things that you would consider normal Mm -hmm. um, as a deterrent just really weren't happening.
0: It's also very Um, discouraging now, knowing what we know happened a month later for the police response to have been so negligent in some of these incidents.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that pool probably more than anything has, has weighed on me. Um, you know, I didn't know Tara. Um, we saw each other you know, across the street and waved are friendly, but, um, I, I did not know Tara and her roommates, mm-hmm. but you know, time to time when, when that crosses my mind, you know, I always think back to that night and think, well, could they have stopped it then? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just one of those things we'll, you know, I'll never have an answer to.
0: Sure. Well, take me back to January 19th, 2001. Um, you lived within Sight's eye of uh, Tara's mm-hmm. home. So did you notice anything odd that morning or anything out of place um, on January 19th?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that morning, uh, roommates were all up. We were you know, getting ready for the day. I was getting ready to go to work. They were getting ready to go to class. Um, I had had just gotten out of the shower, was getting dressed and, uh, one of my roommates called me into his room and his room faced the street Mm -hmm. and, uh, called me into the room because it it was my best guess is this was probably seven 30-ish in Mm -hmm. the morning. It was, it was early. But he called me because he called me in his room because there was a person walking down the street and um, it was a young African-American male in jeans and a T-shirt, which considering it was January was a little odd. Mm -hmm. Um, He was also, you know, just entering the neighborhood on foot. And because this was just a couple of weeks after the incident behind Tara's house, I think we were all a little bit more alert. And uh, he called me in, and, you know, we look out his window, and we see this guy walking down the street. Um, that person actually proceeded down the street and then across Terrace Front Yard, um, which we we thought was odd, but quite frankly, it was broad daylight at that, you know, at that time in the morning. The sun was up. It, it wasn't, you know, dim outside. Or, and I think we just dismissed it, unfortunately, as, but they were there on the street in front of her house and crossing her front yard uh, very early that morning.
0: And you mentioned that when you left your house that morning, you felt like you had smelled the smell of smoke. Is that correct?
2: That's right. And that would have been 30 to 45 minutes later, mm-hmm. uh, probably you know between 8, 8.30. I can't recall the exact time, but, but my best guess is probably 30 to 45 minutes after we saw the person in the street. Um, I was leaving for work, went out the front door to my car and immediately smelled smoke. And it was the distinct smell of a house fire. Um, so I, I paused at that point because you know, the arson in the back of the neighborhood certainly still fresh in the memory. Um, I... I Paused and looked up and down the street, trying to look for any obvious sign of of fire in the neighborhood. You know, I I didn't see any building smoke or flame coming from anywhere and couldn't pinpoint where it was coming from, unfortunately. But it was a pretty strong smell. And and at that point, because I I couldn't see anything other than maybe a slight haze in the air, uh, I just, uh, again, dismissed it thinking, well, you know, it must be coming from, you know, an adjacent neighborhood or someone nearby, but, but not here. And I got in the car and went to work.
0: I know that your roommate then contacted you and let you know of what was going on, um, on Fawn Drive. Mm -hmm. When was it that you found an investigator to talk to? Because it sounds like to me, this information about seeing someone around her home so early, and then smelling this could help not only with persons of interest, but also the timeline. When did you find an investigator to talk to?
2: So I got a call from my roommate 11 or 11.30 that morning. And, uh, you know, I was I was at work, answered the phone. And, you know, his first words were, you're, you're not going to believe what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he tells me that the entire neighborhood is blocked off. The street is full of police cars and fire trucks and a crime scene unit. And, uh, and he tells me that, that someone in the neighborhood had, had passed. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I immediately when he told me a fire was involved, I, I, you know, I really thought, my gosh, you know, I, I smelled that this morning. Um, but we couldn't tell which from. But it was just sort of an immediate sinking feeling. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I had to finish work that day, so I didn't get done until... About four thirty that afternoon, and came home. And uh, by the time I had gotten home, the the street access had been uh, reinstated mm-hmm. so for a period of the day. They had the whole street blocked off, and they weren't letting people into the neighborhood, or at least to the street. Um, so when I got home, there were still several police cars. Uh, crime scene vans in the driveway uh, tape up at the house. Um, You know, I went in, parked the car, talked to my roommates. They had already been questioned and given statements. Um, They had been to class and and come back. And by the time they got back, uh, the one of them came back before fire department or, or, police had arrived and Mm -hmm. and saw flames coming through the roof another without maybe an hour behind him and when he got there the street was blocked off but um they had both been questioned i won't say questioned asked to give statements Mm -hmm. um earlier in the day and i I can't recall if they had a specific name of someone i I needed to speak to I, i feel like at that point they had been so told. You know, when your roommate gets home, he needs to ask for this guy. And mm-hmm. so, I, you know, I walked to the street. I, I found the first person with a badge that I could, and told him who I was and that I needed to speak to this person or or I needed to speak to someone. Um, they came over to our home, um, essentially just right there at the front door. He may have come into the living room. Um. Asked me what I saw. Um, I would assume, I can't recall now after 20 years, but I would assume I probably had to, to write that down mm-hmm. in, a, in a witness statement. Um, and that was that. You know, they left. They were very tight-lipped. Um, didn't really disclose much. Um, and, and never heard from them again regarding our statements. Mm.
0: So... In 20 years, you've never been contacted once again since giving that initial police statement by the athens Clark County Police Department? No. Okay. So I believe that I've given you quite a lot to think about, and I do look forward to seeing your online chatter this week after these new revelations have come to light. If you or someone you know lived in Deer Park in 2001, or if you worked in Deer Park in 2001, or if you have any information at all on the Tara Baker story, her life, or her violent murder, I'm asking you one more time, not only on behalf of the podcast, but on behalf of her family who I love so dearly, please email us at classiccitycrime at gmail.com. I promise you, I can get your information into the hands of someone who can make a difference. And remember, every detail, no matter how small, could prove vital and change everything. Stay tuned this week for an episode extra featuring some moments from Tara's memorial service held at UGA Law. And next week, we're continuing to dig into some new breaking information that only we have. Thanks for tuning in. Stay well, be well. I'm Cameron Jay. Classic City Crime is hosted by me, Cameron Jay, and co-produced and designed by Kyle Keziah. You can visit us online at ClassicCityCrime.com on social media at Classic City Crime. And be sure to leave us a rating wherever you listen to the podcast. Stay well, be well. We'll see you right back here next week.